Welcome to my basement, everybody. I've got a very special guest on this episode with me to talk about all things virtual reality and augmented reality. It is still a topic of discussion in the video game space in a big way. And there's lots to get into with Denny Unger, who is the CEO and founder of Cloudhead Games. They make arguably my favorite VR experience ever, which is Pistol Whip. I still put it onto every VR headset that I uh, ever try out. Most recently, it was the MetaQuest 3. And it's always a treat to speak with this man because his insight is amazing. Danny, how are you doing, my friend? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to talk about the landmine topic that is <laughs> XR, VR, AR. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, this is going to be a pretty interesting year because Apple is entering the uh, the fray. Uh, the marketplace with the Vision Pro headset, which is uh, priced right now, I think at about thirty five hundred US dollars to kind of get the the base model, and there's a lot of discussion. We might as well talk about Apple right away because they're the big fish, and and I think everybody's kind of interested about this. Uh, but it's being discussed as being more prototype or more kind of a dev kit for people that want to create in this space. What is your take on the Apple Vision Pro headset? It's yeah, this is a pretty crazy topic as well. When you get into the the kind of industry dev conversation about what that headset is, because what that headset, yeah, I mean, it's an enthusiast headset. Let's start there. Um, mm -hmm. The price point automatically shoves it into kind of an enthusiast category and they yep. do have manufacturing constraints. So there's not going to be a ton of these on market when it does hit market. So yeah, you can expect kind of enthusiast level buyers and developers kind of gobbling it up initially. But what it is, I wrote an article about this last year. What it is, is really a augmented reality headset that's dressed up like a VR headset. Um, it's really a mixed reality, virtual reality headset, but it's yep. doing AR things. And what I mean by that is it's really, its main job is to reproject 2D media in a space. So, uh, you know, Apple's throwing around the term spatial compute, um, but that's... Right. That's really a term from Magic Leap with their, I don't know if you've heard of those, uh, their yes, augmented yep. reality glasses, and they spent billions on that. And uh, that company has been on a wild ride too. Yeah. But it's it's really this idea that you can take your flat media and just reproject it in your 3D space. Um, and that is Apple's primary play. It's about taking all of that investment and all of the content that they've built over the last however many decades and reprojecting it into your space rather than being like, a, a virtual environment and rather than being uh, engaging with kind of VR content. In fact, there were rumors uh, when this first kind of came out that uh, I, little voices were whispering in my ear, well, there's a big argument going on right now at Apple about whether or not to even support VR content. Um, because VR for Apple was kind of a dirty word. They didn't even want to dip their toes. They, they really don't say it, do they? They, they you know. purposefully avoid saying anything to do with it because, uh, well, it's, you know, it's part of Apple being Apple different, Yeah, uh, but, but it's also because they, they don't, I it, from my perspective, it feels like they don't respect the medium of VR, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in the same way. And there was supposedly some very heated arguments about whether or not to support VR content at launch. Um, and as the months kind of rolled on, it was very clear that they were not going to because they weren't reaching out to any of my peers in the industry. There was no communication happening there. 
Uh, and Apple's then- got a bit of a history with this, though. Like when when the iPod comes out and the uh, iPhone comes out, they 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 try to separate what their product is from the competition and they don't throw the same buzzwords around. They like to create their and manufacture their own language around their products. That's yes. not new that they're doing that this time. hundred percent. No, it's yeah. what they do. It's what they do every rollout. Um, yeah. And well, we can get into the kind of the game side and, and Apple also just, they kind of, ha- they're allergic to games and gaming, um, even yeah. though it is like their primary money generator on storefront. I know, um, I know. But, and I, so I think, you know, in the boardroom, it's like, yeah, we don't talk about games, but obviously they make most of our money. So, but it's just, it's always this odd strategy to me where they just kind of like icky games yet here they are making however many billions every year from I feel like some things are starting to shift a little bit. Like Apple purposefully, they sent me the iPhone 15 pro max to uh, review it as a game machine. That was why I wanted to review it. And I've been playing some resident evil games on there and I played Lies of P, a big PC game on my Mac and streamed that out, which was a surreal thing. So they mm-hmm. and they send me the press releases every week from the gaming side. They totally are trying to talk to me as somebody that reports on the industry that, no, we we are into games. I'm, I'm a fan of their Apple Arcade. So it has been weird for me. And I said this on my reaction to the Apple Vision Pro. It's like. Where's your game announcement? Like, I, I know that you've got Apple Arcade stuff projected in, in, on a big screen type thing, but where is your commitment to video games? Because video games are going to be the lifeblood of this device, whether you want to say that or not. <laughs> yeah, it's and that gets into a really interesting territory as well, because they made yeah. a conscious choice not to include controllers, game controllers with right. the headset. They are not manufacturing them. They have no plans to ship with them. Um, you know, they're saying, well, we will support third party. Um, but crucially with, when it comes to mm. XR and VR, uh, they're not shipping motion controllers. That's everything is hand tracked. Okay. And hand tracking has its place and it's a very yeah. useful technology, especially for AR, especially when all you're trying to do is move around windows or point to things. Um, it's okay if there's latency in that loop, like it's okay if, if that that's even moderately clumsy because you're doing very basic things. But when it comes to like the fidelity and uh, latency of playing a video game, it's incredibly important that we have precision, that we have button mapping, like standard standardization, really. Um, Haptics are incredibly important for, for gaming, especially in, in VR and XR, because in my opinion, touch is fundamental to human experience. Yeah. That is also like it's to me, it's an area we should be deep diving even deeper into in XR, not moving away from. Um, right. Because ghost hands em- are emulating are the physical with technology, not yes. just employing our hands to touch the invisible and yeah. to try to create a sense of tactility. We should we should endeavor to build tactility into products that we physically are grasping and holding. I, you know, yeah. I think we're talking about, our, you know, the human nature to use tools to do things better than we can with just our hands. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do when we play video games. We're not just picking up things. We're trying to do things better than we can when we have, we're not trying to finger gun it our way through everything. We want to feel like we're actually holding something, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. The finger gun thing. Oh, I, so every time this conversation comes up on, on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, it's like, I'm like, okay, like, yes, of course there can be a number of game VR games built for hand tracking only. And that's fine. And some of them will work great, but 
you have to look at the reality of what gamers actually are attracted to when they play games. And I'm yes. sorry, there's just a ton of shooters. I mean, that is the predominant market just in general. Yeah. And yeah. I, I fail to see how people are going to be using finger guns to play very popular shooters in VR right. and XR. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the, the, the tactility there is incredibly important. Um, I, I, it's, it's a mystery to me how that's going to happen. The argument I suppose people use is, well, but they did it with touch screens. Um, right. So, right. So I hear this and I'm yes, valid. However, a touch screen is still a tactile input device. You yeah. still get tactility from holding your finger on the screen, but you also get like vibrational haptics. You get some feedback. Yeah. Like you, so it's not, a, it's not a one-to-one -one translation, especially right. when you start getting into spatial media. Um, You'll be able to play like so. It'll be interesting to see how how that pans out. Apple's got to be working on some gloves. Yeah, like I, they must have Minority Report on loop over there. They've got to be working on some gloves. I think everybody is is fair to say, yeah. but whether or not yeah. it comes to market is another thing. I, the, yeah. For me, Vic, this whole thing is like the there. This is not. Sorry, I'm grabbing it and dropping it off my desk right now. But mm -hmm. this controller, I'm holding up the Quest Three controller. Yeah, this is not the end game. This is a no. transitional device, mm -hmm. but I do think there's still a device here that is maybe three fingers that is giving haptics to your fingertips. That's offering like resistive haptics to the back of your fingers so that when you touch something, you get some resistance, some, some yeah. object shape, right? I like that's that. The, yeah. That's the future of, uh, of a game controller in XR, something that's, that's actually simulating shape and feel. Um, yeah. Because when you crack that, you're 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 cracking it over another level of uh, immersion and depth and experience. So, are are you excited that Apple is entering into this space? Does it look like possibly a platform for a game like Pistol Whip for you, or do you think this is uh, just a they're just toying around and this will be something that they end up dropping? Or what are your thoughts about Apple's commitment to this technology beyond 2024? Um, ninety nine percent of VR titles that have been built over the last six years or whatever yeah. uh, will will not be compatible with the Apple Vision Pro, um, and oh, wow. and games that are made in the next two to three years will also not be, you know, <laughs> portable to the Apple Vision Pro. And the reason is is most of those developers are designing for system parity. Mm. We finally reached a point in the VR industry where you know Sony. And and Valve and Meta and all of the all of the big wigs OEMs that are building in this this arena have a parity with button input and with how we as developers can build our software to work on their platforms. Right. Uh, Apple is completely uh, removing themselves from that parity um, mm. by not supporting controllers, and everybody's building for controllers right now. So there's going to be a content gap there. Um, or you will see, you know, obviously a lot of developers are going to have to pivot and do uh, hand tracking. However, it's really important to remember that out of the gate, Apple can only produce so many of these things. So the economics right. of developing a game for the Apple Vision Pro are actually, they don't look great in the first, you know, one to five years. They have to build a new AR market. Um, right. In the meantime, as a VR developer, we have to... Uh, we have to play to all ecosystems. We can't just pick, oh, I'm just going to do Apple Vision Pro. Well, what happens if I do that? Oh, now I can't port my game to uh, PSVR 2 because they don't yeah. support hand tracking at all. So yeah. you have to think about it more holistically as a developer. 
can I afford to develop for the AVP? That's really yeah. the bigger question right now. And the answer is yeah. yes. If you live in your mom's basement and you're, or you're a two person studio, sure, go for it. Um, or if you've got outside investment, you're doing something artificial to prop up your development to develop right. on that device. Right. Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, the recent, and this is what precipitated my reaching out to you, Chet uh, Valziak. I, I hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, X Valve. I think he might still Chet be Valsek, at Valve. Yeah. Yeah, Falsec, um, who you know and and you uh, likely worked with in in uh, your dealings with uh, Valve and VR and stuff. He said some kind things about Pistol Whip, but he also said some uh, eye opening things about uh, Meta's investments into VR and how um, it, it created this kind of false economy around VR. And a lot of studios got some investment and they tried their their luck with VR software and have struggled a little bit and. The Quest 3, I think, is uh, kind of a realization of a lot of dreams that that the Oculus team has had for their technology, and it's giving uh, developers a lot of um, new opportunity to create things. But it really shook things up for a long time because, you know, there was like a quality bar that Valve and its teams had been able to hit with PC VR that the Quest software couldn't kind of hit. And... Um, also created, I think, this illusion that that uh, developers could do well in the VR space, but the sales don't back up all of uh, that. And and you had some interesting commentary around that. I hope I'm encapsulating it. It was a, a you know an interesting an interesting uh, amount of information around this, and from a very you know unique perspective as well. But why don't you recap a little bit about your thoughts about what Chet said and and uh, maybe through that, we'll understand a little bit more about his thoughts and feelings on all of this. Yeah. And, and again, I I deeply respect Chet. He's the one that helped uh, Cloudhead connect to Valve when when they were first developing the HTC Vive with, with awesome. HTC. Um, awesome. And they flew us out there and Valve was amazing to us and, uh, you know, helped us launch our, our first couple games. Um, so Chet had his his boots on the ground for early VR and, but then Chet did move out of the industry. Yeah. Uh, and he built his own game called Anna Cruz, um, which is on steam. I think it just came out of early access actually. Um, is it a VR game? No, it's flat screen. Okay. Yeah. Which is also very interesting. But at the time right. that Chet left yeah. to start his own business, he, he moved into flat screen. Mm. Um, but uh yeah, I, he was encapsulating the entire kind of journey of VR as he saw it, and he was coming at it from coming at it from a very kind of Valve centric perspective. Of you know, we're talking about the Valve Index and and kind of the PC VR market and how yeah. it succeeded or failed. Um, and I think his argument was basically that when uh, Meta entered the fray, they they subsidized and overfunded to the point that it created artificiality in terms of product success. Uh, what I tried to say was, you know, at around 28, so when VR kind of officially relaunched in 2016, uh, it, everybody was kind of like, oh, this is going to, you know, take off like a rocket and it's going to be a massive industry in five years, right? Uh, that didn't happen, uh, but it it did continue to improve over the, the last 10. Yeah. Uh, but around 2018, PC VR specifically just everybody in our industry saw that that market kind of tank. Yeah. Uh, and there were some real concerns that uh, VR was going to die on the vine at that point. Um, we just weren't seeing sales uh, 
And there, there's a bunch of reasons for that. And that's also what Chet got into. This is why this, this is such a complicated conversation yeah. because yeah. then you get into, well, okay, well, why did PCVR fail? Yeah. Uh, why is it flagging? Uh, and then, so you get into, well, a, you know, a, a user has to buy a gaming PC, which is not a cheap investment. Yeah. So yeah. you've got that sort of first point of friction. And then at the time, at least, you have to buy a premium VR headset, which is almost the same cost as a gaming PC. So you've got these two massive friction points just to start the gambit, right? And then, at least at the time, and this has gotten much better over time, the software that you used in order to get into the experiences, well, it required some technical savvy, some troubleshooting. Some and some stuff, patience. <laughs> a lot of patience, something your uncle or whoever yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't have Dude, patience I, for. I can't tell you how many freaking times, and this is one of the reasons why I have enjoyed the Quest experience, but how many freaking times I'd be working on some PC VR review and I'd get it to work, but I would there would be moments of like, it's not working. It's not yeah. working. I'd be hot. I'd have the damn thing on my <laughs> on head. head. I'd yes. be looking, at the, you know, at the wires underneath the PC and plugging stuff in the back. I'm like, what? The, this is crazy. This is not fun. And this yeah. is my job. Like, I look at all of this stuff and I, I just was thinking, how are regular people ever going to find their way to enjoy something like this? Yeah. So the best experience most people would have had in, in PC VR uh you know, unless you were an enthusiast or someone who was tech savvy, uh, was going to somebody's house and they were like a super enthusiast and they dropped you into an experience. So you didn't have to do any of that. Right. They, they got rid of the friction points for you. Right. Yes. Yes. And there was also a core and there's also base stations to set up. There's a bunch of mm -hmm. friction, friction, friction sensors everywhere. Yep. And yep. on top of all of that, it, it, this is a whole other conversation. Maybe we can get to after, but it's about how Valve curates software and mm. the, the way that they curate software for 2D gaming does not equally apply to VR. The It, it does not serve VR. Uh, it and we can get on, into that on the Steam store, you mean specifically? It, yeah, maybe we should get yeah. into that now. It's it's like each one of these conversations kind of dovetails into the yeah, other. Well, right? it's a big topic because and it's so hard to kind of like, I think, look at sales charts at all around this medium and know where we are you know mm -hmm. it is it's it's a moving thing it's a fluid thing this idea of attaching screens to our eyes and letting us escape into these realities it's it's here forever it's never going away no. it's just going to constantly evolve and change and uh improve you know yeah. and it's going to be fits and starts and it's going to be from upstarts and, and weird companies and and you know two-person teams but I see it. It's never going away. It's just it, it's not going to grow exactly the same as other technologies have. Yeah, the, there's um, there's room to grow. So like, you know, yeah. Cloudhead is a 50 plus person studio. We're working on two new games uh, right now, and we've done four so far. If if you play your cards right and you're conservative, you, you can absolutely grow a, a, a video game studio in VR. Um, Congratulations, by the way. And you. and you make a game as awesome you know, as eternal as Pistol Whip, which is just an amazing piece of software reinforced every time I jump in. I'm like, holy shit, this is fun. Every <laughs> single time I play it. That's, it's an amazing game. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. We're, it, you know, doing that again will be incredibly hard with two new games. I know. Yeah. Um, and you're you're in the uh, Nintendo Switch territory here. Like, how does, <laughs> how does Nintendo top that? You know, it's yeah. that same thing. They may fail, um, but that's that's game that's game dev, isn't it? 
Um, yeah. Well, t- take us into what Steam could be doing better for developers for VR. Yeah. So the the problem is is that they have kind of an automated curation cycle on Steam, uh, where yeah. it's it's sales driven. So the most sales drive titles into your eyeballs, right? So a mm. title's doing well, it starts trending on their lists and it becomes a thing that you see when you go to their storefront. Um, so it's it's really kind of like a user curated model, which is fine for 2D gaming. Uh, but when you get into VR, there's some particular particularities around what is what is the best uh, way to onboard new users into VR? Oh yes, right, right, right. Because yeah. you you only get this chance once. The the difference right. between two D gaming and VR gaming is that right. if if I play a two D game that I don't like the control scheme or whatever, well, whatever, I move on and I find a, a new game. If I go into VR as a first time user and that first experience makes me sick because the developer did a trash job on best yes. practices for vection yes. and yes. and I but never... it's fine for the stalwarts, the people that are there all the time. They jump in and they and they dig it. But a, a person looking to jump in buys the most popular thing and it yeah. overwhelms them. They're yes. likely not buying again, right? They're not coming you, back. Exactly. They, you, you, you literally get one chance for most people, for most people right. jumping into VR for the first time. If they right. play something that makes them sick, they're out. They're like, I, okay, I tried VR. It wasn't yeah. for me. It, it Which is something me... Chet yeah. brought up. Yeah, that was a big sort of cornerstone of his argument. So it's interesting that you know that kind of thinking hasn't been applied to the Steam Store for PC VR. It yes. So it's something that uh, I was trying to say. You know, Meta did very well with because they took a hand curated approach and they they took titles on the the Meta Quest Store that yeah. they knew wouldn't would be very comfortable. Uh, and that were of a certain quality bar, and they put those in front of users first. And that was a very successful strategy. And all of my peers that have built software for the Quest have profited because of that strategy. Amazing. It's, it became a viable business to be in suddenly mm. because mm. Uh, first time users come into the storefront, they play great software, and they are more compelled to buy and keep buying software because right. they had a fantastic experience. And then after playing those those first few titles, if they run into a title where the developer didn't take some care in best practices, or if it's a more extreme enthusiast a game with a locomotion scheme that makes you feel uncomfortable and they felt a bit woozy coming out, they, they knew what they were up against. They're like, yeah, I heard this was kind of more of an enthusiast thing. I've already had my onboarding and I feel good. It's my fault, essentially, at that point, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so Steam doesn't do that at all because of it, because of the sort of automated nature of how it curates content. And so the other great frustration there is that when you go to the Steam storefront and you look at the VR section specifically, and you're looking to buy a title, uh, it, it, it is overrun with 2D titles. Like right. that, that's prime real estate for VR developers um, who have an issue with getting any kind of um, airtime or exposure yes. at all. Right, right, um, right. So what you see is a bunch of racing games and flying games that have 2D support. And I use air quotes here because uh, many times, oftentimes, that support is garbage. Um, yeah. And the sales metrics that are driving it to the VR page are 2D sales. Are based metrics. on 2D, right. Oh, my God, Denny, this is all so clear and obvious. Have you heard a response from Valve about any of this? Uh, I mean, this makes so much sense. So I I always am very vocal and I talk to Valve um, and I think 
part of the issue is just that the the Steam storefront is this Goliath uh, mechanism yeah. that's been around for decades, I guess, at this hard, point. Yeah, hard to turn the, the, the ship. I'm not going to call it Titanic. Hard to, <laughs> hard to turn the ship when it's that big, I guess. It's, and make, because they would have to create sort of a new storefront for VR. Um, yeah. And at, like, I, I don't claim to understand the complexities of the code base that they're dealing with to make right. these changes. Yes. But it, it seems clear to me that they need um, at least four categories for VR. It's like there's there's VR, uh, native VR. There's VR with 2D support, which is the mm -hmm. inverse. There's mm -hmm. 2D with VR support. Right. Uh, and what was the other? I had a fourth one. <laughs> There's uh, so many. Comfort, but, uh, comfort level. Well, comfort is the other thing. It's like um, yeah. you need you need some people who are their their actual job should be looking at software and going. This is kind of the stack of things we should be putting in front of first time players, or at least guiding yeah. them in some way. Right. Um, and that list can change. Like it it shouldn't be a stagnant list of oh, well, these are the titles that you should only ever buy because that's not fair to developers either, right? So that list can change, but there should be a hand-curated list that is pushing Agreed. users towards comfortable software. And then- Especially if Valve has a vested interest you know, in getting people on board with hardware or new technologies or experimentation, there should be some kind of, I don't know, metric for applauding that innovation. You know, not just yeah, within totally. their own ranks, but with the developers out there that are really pushing the medium forward. I played a, a quest game that just blew me away called Eye of the Temple, and it's a smaller game. It's got some great reviews yeah. on the quest store, and it's so fun. I mean, Indiana you're walking Jones. around like you're Indiana Jones yeah. inside of this. Uh, you know, I don't have the space, unfortunately, in the basement <laughs> yeah. to, to take full advantage of it. But it was like, wow, this is really freaking cool. It's full yeah. on room scale, so you have to kind of move in the headset. Yeah. But it was thrilling. I thought it was really cool technology. And there are a lot of those titles, <clears throat> excuse me. And unfortunately, on the Steam storefront, you really have to dive for the diamonds in the rough. Like you, you right. actively have to dig in and go, you know, through through so many lists to try to find them. Um, and there, I, I want to be clear that this is not um, skirting the importance of enthusiast titles uh, or things that are more advanced for more advanced VR players. Those things are still important in their own way. It's just they should have their own lanes. Yeah. Um, they should then that those lanes of comfort and complexity should be very clear to the end user. It's oh, just man, another I'm on board with you. And I, I, yeah. I also don't think that you're talking about uh, you're you know, talking crap at, at 2D game makers or flat screen game makers that are putting VR in their content. No, that's they should great, do that too. They, they, yeah, they should do that more. I agree. Um, but you sh there should be this sort of bubbling up of stuff that's really pushing the medium forward and really becoming uh, and really uh, innately accessible as well. I think that's what everybody that's in that space, you want that least amount of friction, friction the, the, yeah. the obstacles in the way. You want to be able to just get in and show people that it's really ridiculously fun. Yes, and a very good point, Victor. <laughs> There's yeah. some great um, VR uh support on some 2d titles uh and there should be more of that 100 uh yeah. but the, the the design sensibilities around building for vr are very different than 2d um yeah. and it's it's unfortunate that on the steam storefront many of those things get buried um right and, and they also have this problem where it's like the sent the same kind of 10 top 10 titles uh in vr yeah. uh, that keep yeah. showing up year on year and they're often enthusiast titles because it's 
the the Steam uh, user base is really an enthusiast group keeping that VR side afloat, but they are a stagnant ocean. They're they're not growing the market. So yeah. this is the these are the entry points that I keep kind of saying are are problems. And Meta doesn't get off easy here either. Um, either. Discoverability they, in in this all digital sort of direction that we're moving towards across all of these stores is so yeah. problematic. And and honestly, we just came off of arguably the best year that the video game art form has ever had with some incredible titles, just title after title. Every month there was just a groundbreaking piece of software. I, I honestly started to feel really bad for game makers trying to get attention for their stuff last year it seemed harder than ever. And, you know, now they're like we're getting the news that retailers are pulling their physical media yeah. off of shelves and stuff. So there's not going to be these experts in these retail places kind of helping neophytes and people that don't have an awareness where to find this thing. There doesn't even anything, nothing like that really exists for VR at mm -hmm. all. And yeah, these curators, these storefronts, they really have to like think about their responsibility here, not just to their customer base, but for their developers. Like we're, we're how are you yeah. going to let people know how this cool stuff is available for people? You know, it's going to be Game, very important. Gaming, just as a general statement, gaming success is also its own enemy because yeah. there are more gaming studios than there ever have been. Yet you see a bunch mm -hmm. of them closing down now because the the competitive nature of that landscape is so brutal um, and the games aren't short and that's a huge yeah. problem as well that's a that's a whole other topic that, <laughs> that we could get into yeah let's circle like, back though to, to chet though i want to i want to yeah. kind of wrap up what what he said and and what you agreed and disagreed with so i i just want to say meta doesn't get off the kind of curation gate issue either because no they have a thing called app lab uh which is off off of their storefront um, mm. And it's kind of where um, those weird new titles uh, show up first. And if they kind of pass uh, a certain threshold there, they they have the potential to move on to the MetaQuest storefront. Uh, however, the, so they Meta's kind of doing the inverse or they have the inverse problem where they've got great hand curated content. So you're you're very likely to play something that you will like if you go and buy something on the Quest store. That being said, there is a whole tranche of developers that don't get showcased on that storefront. So they need right. like a an under the fold exposure mechanism for App Lab. Like App Lab should be persistent on their right. storefront, like right. everything else. Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, it can occupy a lower uh, uh, placement on the actual page, uh, but it should be accessible to people so they can find things on their own. Um, it's just mm. that balance. Both stores are doing a not so great job of having hand curated along yeah. with here's the wild west go nuts and play whatever you want but there there needs to be those two things functioning to really make this market succeed uh because in my opinion it's the hardware is is only getting incremental improvements from this point forward we did yeah. we had that big ooh ah phase of vr and now it's just year on year things are getting slowly better it's getting smaller it's getting higher resolution it's this it's that but well the it, fact that there's a battery pack with the vision pro Mm -hmm. kind of illustrates that there is this finite threshold for how much kind of visual horsepower you can have and how many pixels pixels you can push <laughs> at on-screen displays before it's a battery muncher and it's a, it's going to be heavy or hot or both and yeah. you know we're just it, shrinking is not going to be easy it, it's we can get really good looking things but shrinking it 
is yeah, not going to be easy. Th- I I agree that I but there are some fascinating things happening with uh onboard compute and that that's getting better and better every year. It's yeah. I I actually believe especially with um you're seeing it in the Quest 3, quite honestly, yeah. you're starting to yeah. see it where visual fidelity is getting closer to a point where yes, an enthusiast will pick it apart all day. Well, this isn't my 4090 or whatever uh, you know, graphics card I have. It, it'll never do that. However, for that Joe Blow consumer, uh, it's getting oh, it's, closer to a threshold. It's where astounding. It's like, I yeah. can't. What What's the difference between this and a? You have to think. I, I always say this. You have to think about VR more like uh, consoles than uh, than PC VR or whatever kind of machination you want to. This is a gaming console that you've put on your face. This is yeah. a Nintendo Switch. This is. I mean, Steam Deck should be the proof that. We are moving towards an era of mobile compute. I, yeah. I consider like the Steam Deck hardware in that same yep. category, where you can play yep. AAA games on your face. Like we're we're moving into that era, and anybody that's kind of denying the importance of standalone hardware at that level is missing where it's going. Um, I Agreed. I'm a PC enthusiast. I love my PC. Uh, however. I don't think it's the right form factor necessarily for VR. VR should be a console you put on your face. <laughs> well, I mean, the Quest is proving that out with its wireless connectivity to PC VR, and uh, you can tether in and you can play these things. And yes, it's incredibly it d- impressive technology. It does all things. And this goes back to what I was saying with Chet was uh, he was trying to say that so you know, uh, PC VR was a failure uh, on certain levels, uh, and it was being impacted by uh, these kind of over expenditure, these these su- subsidies coming from Meta. And the thing is, is that when Meta uh, or Quest, that, or sorry, uh, Oculus at the time, the, uh, mm-hmm. tongue tied on the names, um, they when they moved into mobile hardware, uh, when they started getting into Quest One, Two, and Three, that's when our industry went from a nosedive into, oh, it's now sub- actually tangibly supporting studios because I can right. actually sell software all of a sudden. Right. Um, it, it represented more than 80% of all of our sales across all of our peers. Like, and these... I, these uh, On the outside, Danny, it's so obvious. You know, I know the PC, the PSVR 2 is better. I know that the index is better. I loved the Rift when I had the Rift hooked up to my PC. They're mm-hmm. all better. But it's easier. It's more fun to play. You just pop the quest on your head and and you don't even have to move any. You just got to move furniture and you're having a good time. You know, it's as simple as that. And now with the pass through, it's I mean, I said it all in the in the review video I posted not too long ago, but it's really it's it. Honestly, there's a perfect analogy with the switch. The switch is blown away by competition. There is just better looking software on other machines all over the place. But the yeah. Switch is fun. It's really fun. It's really yeah. easy. It works just like they said it was going to work. You can take it anywhere and you can have fun with it, you know? And then Nintendo yeah. makes really excellent games to back up what you can do with this, this hardware. Yeah, it's and again, the, it's like the quest is that piece. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's uh the the proof to me it wasn't even the sales rolling in from Mm -hmm. from quest it was that um in my house i started noticing the the quests being left on the couch or on the kitchen table or in the kids room or i have two kids um and they were picking the device up for the first time i i tried to get them into vr and pc vr and 
look at this. Uh, you know, everybody I would bring to my to my uh, studio or to the house and I would try to show yeah. them VR and they'd be really yeah. stoked on it, but they would never make the commitment because there was just too many friction points. It was too expensive. It was too hard to set up. All of this stuff went away when the Quest came to market and that's what consumers resonated with. It was the fact that you could throw this thing in a backpack and go anywhere and show it to anybody yeah. uh, or the kids could see it laying on the couch and pick it up. And within a minute, they were in an Steam experience. Deck is a perfect example of that too. I was at an event in, uh, I was at PAX and I went to this indie night and I I walked in and it was wall to wall demos on Steam decks. I, yeah. I'd never seen anything like it before. All of these developers building their prototype software and giving us an early look at stuff. Steam decks everywhere. And yeah. I don't think Valve had that in mind when they were building this, or maybe right. they did, but it is like the perfect show off tool, you know, yeah. and that that ease of use is so freaking important. Yeah, just the convenience of being able to get into an experience within 30 seconds of putting on the device is so important yeah. for VR. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just very obvious from my perspective what happened there. And it wasn't like, yes, uh, you know, there have been reports and whatever about this a lot. So I'm not saying anything new here, but the hardware is obviously being subsidized to some degree, um, yeah. but not by a ton. Uh, and uh, I think the other argument Chet made was, you know, software has been subsidized to such a degree that uh, it's also an artificial market. That's just not true. There's, um, there are a handful of titles that were oversubsidized for the scale of what the market actually is. So they, you know, they were trying to build these AAA type experiences and the market just wasn't big enough to support that. But how you know? do you grow a market unless you do that? I mean, that's exactly. what Nintendo and Sony and Xbox. and Xbox have been doing forever. Exactly. They always do that. The second a new yeah. console comes out, they've already got two years in yeah. the pipe where yeah, they paid the studio to develop We're not thing. done. We're at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah. Or video games in general. Like, that's what people don't understand. Most people don't understand that they play games or even commit to the fact that and to say that they play video games. We're not done until everybody talks about video games the same way yeah. that they watch movies and TV shows. <laughs> totally. We have a long way to go. I mean, Valve did it themselves with Half-Life Alex. They, you know, yeah. they pumped a, a very large sum of money into the game, knowing that they would not exactly. really make a meaningful return. Right. But they had right. to show the potential of the medium. And that's also what Meta did. And they've done yep. it more recently with Asgard's, Asgard's Wrath 2. Wrath 2. And that's a phenomenal yep. game. It's it's yep. on the same level as Skyrim or something like that. Like yep. you need you need those examples for consumers to buy in. And yep. and then they will find they will kind of distill down to smaller studios like ours and find our our stuff too. Um, so Chet is Chet basically saying that because it's it's uncomfortable or expensive or all of these friction points that you brought up that VR doesn't have a long you know potential or they're like we've we've hit the the ceiling on 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 adoption or it's just too hard of a market or is he kind of backing away from that or what I, was your read on that i so i don't know what he knows i only know what i know and what what yeah. i know is that uh Last year, there was more money spent in XR than any year prior. Like the companies mm. building hardware have dumped more money in than any other year, which is interesting in a, you know, yeah. as we get closer to a recession, they're yeah. still pouring money. So you've, you've now got, you know, Google and Samsung coming to market with their own headset. And it's right. not, they're not trying to compete with Apple. Like this yeah. is the important it, thing. Is this in anticipation of the, the uh, much ballyhooed 
uh, yet to be realized meta verse that everybody has been talking about? Is everybody oh, God. trying to get first to market <laughs> with with hardware? To, to did you see that Ernie Klein has actually got the Ready Player I, One? I read that universe is coming <laughs> as a metaverse type thing out there on on Web three or something. something yeah, Web three buzzwordy like that. Um, <laughs> I yeah I. The metaverse is a whole other conversation. I know. I know. That's why I wanted to have you on, my friend. Um, There's a lot of things that we can talk about here. Uh, yeah. The, oh, God. Uh, so the metaverse is, I think it's a real deal, but it's not going to make sense until, you know, the it's majority open. of the majority of the planet is wearing an all day device on their face. And, right. and so there is a future, you know, call it 10 years. It's always 10 years, but uh, yeah. where you've got a pair of reading glasses that do all things. So they're an AR portal. They are a VR portal. They are modal. You can switch between those things. That's when an applicable metaverse will make sense because it's a device that's just always on your face. And whoever has the infrastructure set up for that at that time and the money to support it will win. And that's only going to be a handful of companies. It's not going to be a startup over here or something. It's it's really going to mm. be a Meta or a Microsoft or a Google Apple. or an Apple, right? Yeah. They're the they only need ones to be able to mass it. produce the hardware. Yeah, there's going to be an integration yeah. between the hardware and the that the software universe, call it. Um yeah. and I yeah. I just I, it strains belief to me that anybody else can penetrate that market because it needs to be a global phenomenon, right? Right, right. So if we're wearing these, let's let's get into this hypothetical mode here for a second. If we're wearing these headsets that work in AR and VR, so we'll be able to toggle between having a full virtual experience, but we'll be able to walk around them in everyday wear and mm -hmm. like Iron Man or the Terminator, look around and get all kinds of information back at us. At presumably commerce will be a huge part of that. So you mm -hmm. walk into a store, <laughs> we're not, uh, yeah. but you'll... You, <laughs> And they don't have the inventory on the shelf, but you can buy it and have it ordered basically through your AR glasses or whatever. You'd be surfing the internet almost in real time, talking to your artificial assist AI assistant or whatever. I, I mean, aren't we just recreating reality again with with Ready Player One lights on everything? Like, isn't that what is we're about to kind of do again? We're just gonna. Yeah recreate what we built we're going to close down all of these physical businesses but then recreate them and they're going to be digital isn't yes. it kind of what we're doing the future is so weird you can't predict it with, with this with this uh hardware it's so impossible to predict because yeah. it is so bizarre like like there's a bunch of different ways to think about this you could be walk all stores in the future you could be walking down the street and a store might just be white walls that you walk into yeah. because because it's painted however they want you to see it, right? Right. Yeah. Or but take it a step further and well, why go to the store when you can just reskin my apartment to be the store? Yeah. Um, and that's probably more likely. And I think it it suits. I think Or the, you can fly to your store as a superhero because that's going to be more sure. fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the, or, you know, you, you go to meet up with friends at a pub, but it's now a medieval pub, period, accurate. And you are all skinned as characters and you're having a drink. Right. Um, right. Like wow. so. So reskinning the world is really what's about to happen. And people will 
get wow, very precious. Yeah. The precious. whole the real world reskinning yes. the real world is about to happen. I, I keep saying to people, AR is, AR is not about um, having windows that have applications in them all no. over your environment. What's no. the its real superpower is once it hits a certain level of technology, you can reskin everything in reality. Right. So so you can make your dirty apartment look like Shangri-La or whatever, and it will be spatially right. anchored to the real things in your, your We're environment. We're so screwed at that. Yeah. Like, honestly, what will be real at that point? Yeah, people are going to get really precious about what what environment they choose to see and live in. Yeah. And I do, yeah. like, if you take it far enough, um, the second there, there was a problem with that technology, I could see people have, like, kind of glitching out. Like, oh, uh, yeah. You well, know, oh no, the, I'm in my, the, I'm the in my dirty apartment. The premise of Ready Player One, you know, yes. I mean, it, and it's not hard to, it's not hard to be here in 2024 and think of those problems and yes. kind of prepare for them in a way, like, you know, it, you don't have to be a prophet to see what could go wrong in that yeah. with our psyche and with our individualism and, and all of it. I mean, we're, we're entering into some really wacky territory is is that kind of and i read your tweets and i always find them incredibly fascinating and uh you know beautifully positioned from a really unique perspective there aren't many leaders of you know entertainment companies that do what you do and have done consistently for so long in the world and that's something that i hope you are very proud of and i recognize that in you i think it's incredible what you guys have accomplished no oh, thank you but for that i i get the sense that you're happier in VR than you are in this idea of us escaping or trying to paint our world. I, I, I get the sense that you as an entertainment creator, like the idea of creating a, a different reality than, than over painting, painting over the one that we currently exist in. I, I think it's all of these things are unstoppable tech. It's like AI. It's yeah. all unstoppable. Yeah. Um, it is unstoppable. The goods and the bads. And it's it goes back to like the, you know, the birth of the internet. The internet has a, a ton of good and a ton of bad in it. And it's yeah. any, any substantial, the Gutenberg press, you know, books have good and bad. Like every substantial tech media technology in our history has a lot of good and bad. So uh, I try not to be too uh, apocalyptic about it. I also think that the, the great, uh, benefit once we cross that threshold is that it removes all distance from everyone. So, yes. so I can, instead of us having this cam conversation right now, you know, not too long from now, you and I can be in the same virtual space and look exactly like we look right now and right. feel like we are tangibly there with each other. And I think that's, that's pretty incredible. Trippy. Yeah. Um, and we could be in front of an audience of people wearing yes. this stuff and see them all represented oh, out there. And they well, could be raising their hand and asking totally. us questions. I know. Think of it. You, you could, cool. Victor, yeah. you could be in a, a coliseum yeah. of audience because there is no limit there in terms of them getting to your show or whatever. It's right. just your, your, your fan base can now join you in that space. Like it wouldn't just be my action figures <laughs> as, yeah. as an audience you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Um, did I just give a thumbs up? You did. I think I, 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 I was wondering I do how that? that happened. I didn't. I, I do guess it. I. That's crazy. I. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you pressed something. Oh, Zoom! Uh, You're so wacky. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, the future is. Uh, I. 
removing distance and really teleportation is is one of the the freakiest things about this is once yeah. it reaches that point teleportation is 100% real it is beyond star trek because where you're going and who you're with can be absolutely anything amazing um, if you go further it's like this to me this could be the answer to fermi's paradox of like well why haven't we found it even though i think we have found aliens and they're probably here but like yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. why haven't we found aliens uh well it could be that once uh society is advanced enough we end up just kind of living on server farms underground because yeah why explore outward when we can create a, a heaven of our own making underground in a server i was just thinking about the damn fermi paradox today i was just <laughs> thinking about it and i think that we are tiptoeing around exactly why that paradox we answer the paradox talking about ai and mm -hmm. this artificial adoption of reality and this kind of communal thing. Like, how do we not go to Battlestar Galactica and terminate? <laughs> like, we're all of the, yeah. the warning signs have been there forever. The Matrix, if we just empower the, you know, the artificial intelligence to a degree, like, how do we not wipe ourselves out? And how does every civilization not get to this exact same point with well, artificial and, and, intelligence. And then is that is that uh, us wiping ourselves out or is that just the natural progression of I, what I, thinking yes. living things do? I but don't know. If, it, if everything is resource-based, I guess artificial intelligence, this is like we're having a joint right now. I love it. Uh, but <laughs> if everything is resource-based, would the the artificial intelligent machines of the future eventually run out of resources and just mm -hmm. die out, you know, because the, you know, the, they don't have enough WD-40 to, <laughs> to grease their joints. And eventually I just see a squeaky wheel and that's the end of it. And then dust comes over and it starts all over again. <laughs> or they, or they take, you know, the, the server farms, we're like their grandparents and they're just kind of taking care of the grandparents in the old folks home. Meanwhile, they're out exploring the actual tangible universe, trying to figure it out, you know, what's what. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, or or do they need to even do that because they recognize that all, all of it is in us and it's yeah. all we're we're all well, a, a part of it and we can all, we can recreate it. Or all, all we've really done is uh, we've found the walls of the simulation and we're just doing recursive simulations <laughs> further and further down. Totally. Like like that's the generative thing is like oh yeah, well we're gonna just replace reality with a, a one that we think is better. Um, but in meanwhile, that's exactly what we're living in right now. We just don't know it. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can be a little cynical and you can look at a game like Starfield and, and see that the creative walls that they butted up against, they had the whole universe to create for us as players, but of course they're humans and they couldn't, they couldn't yeah. hit all of their quadrants of imagination out there. They did the best that they could, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's what we can do. Yeah, you know, all of find our the, machines that get that think for us and stuff down the road. We're gonna find the walls. Um, but the I just wanted to touch again quickly, if there's time, on of course. the the funding thing because I think uh, Chet was getting into again that you know funding something like uh, Asgard's Wrath two very different from there there is partner funding from OEMs at different levels, but that this is true of video games across the board every major studio right there you know uh, xbox funds content you know a bunch yep. of bunch of them fund content so this is also true in vr it's just that the, the funding is really fractional it's it's a small percentage of total budget for most games right so i just wanted to push back on that because 
you know, most of the, the, the profit we've earned as a studio has been because of the market, because of people buying software. It's right. not, it's not because of artificial artificiality. Um, and it's, that's really important to say the the, the quest line of headset sets, the standalone nature of that is, is its own success. And it, it helps studios like ours succeed. Now, at the same time, you do have studios closing down and there have been many shutdowns over the last yeah. six years or whatever. Well, um, in the last two days, I saw that Archiact is uh, you know, letting people go and and uh, they're closing down at first contact. The, the people that make Firewall Ultra. Yeah, are t- I, I was confused if they're closing down in 2024, which we're just beginning or they closed down in 2023. But that was yeah, I- that's sad news to read. Could have been a rolling end for them. I'm not sure, but the, the important yeah. thing to note for them is that they were uh, PSVR2 centric. They didn't. They weren't yeah. on other platforms. You really have to be on all major uh, VR platforms right now to to right. be a stable VR studio, um, right. and you have to place conservative bets. So if you go too big and do too many things, um, we're still not at 2D player scales. Like we just don't have that market. So you you do have to be careful. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people. Uh, or sorry, a lot of studios are uh, were they were pushing it very hard before the kind of global recession started to occur. And we're not in a recession, yeah. but we're very yeah. close to it, right? Yeah, and yeah. all industries <laughs> across the planet are laying people off, which is the important thing to remember. So it just right, yes. it just trickles down, and you, so you just have to take one example and then apply it to every other one. VR is no different. Um, you have to be really careful with with well if games building. are a luxury vr is a luxury upon a luxury exactly. it feels like right and then if if uh and i think you know i think it was interesting to read the chat comments or to hear the chat comments and to hear your response and and sort of this dialogue around that after the the quest 3 has launched and it's arguably you know the most successful piece of hardware that that the meta team the oculus team has put out there into the world Sales have been solid on it. Quest 2 is an unmitigated success and in this space. And I just thought, wow, okay. I mean, this does feel like you're pouring, you know, cold water on positivity. You know, maybe it isn't, yeah. you know, it, like these massive leaps. And even the PSVR 2, I think it's it's remarkable that Sony invested so heavily in that architecture. It's really good technology. And there are wins to that. And people playing Resident Evil 4 in VR or Gran mm-hmm. Turismo 7 in VR are blown away by what they're able to do. And I, th- I think yeah. there's some, you know, there is tremendous value in these efforts. And even if they don't take off like wildfire yet, they're leading to that. Even Apple entering into the space, it's easy to be cynical and talk about the price and all that and say they don't have a hope in hell. But I, I think that there is this inevitability, like you believe, and I believe as well, that we will shrink this technology and we will make it more accessible and it will become incredibly more profound. I think that's the that's the course for games in general. The, mm-hmm. We are removing barriers to entry. Price yeah. is becoming less of an issue with subscription plans out there. And yes, everything's digital, but streaming and all of these different ways in grows the this medium it doesn't shrink it it's all really leading to the same place all of these industries are converging on uh spatial media spatial gaming spatial entertainment like it you can't you will not be able to avoid as a consumer 
buying a headset eventually, whether it's a pair of glasses or other, because right. everything is going to go there. All of your games, all of your media, all of the things you watch on YouTube, your books, all of it, everything, music, everything is going to something you wear on your face. Um, yeah. And uh, it it's happening at a slower gradient, but it is happening. And there, there are billions being poured into this every year by major corporations. They are not going to not let this happen. So what happens uh, to the shared experience? What Because if everybody's got an, I mean, we already are yes. living in that reality with our phones and our tablets and everything right now. And, you know, everything is individualized and personalized. And that's something that I miss deeply over our mm -hmm. ability to connect people to watch our television shows was mm -hmm. to bring a group of people together to watch it together. Yeah. I know that that's not happening in the same way with things like this and the video content that I put up on YouTube. And I think that that's a missed opportunity for me as a creator and for the families that we used to reach to kind of group together. And as we get into these headsets and glasses and things, are we going to be able to share stuff anymore? Yes. Is, is there going to be a way to do that? That's we're at this uh, really awkward um, birthing stage for a lot of that. Like, yeah. Uh, again, once once there are these kind of uh, hardware parity uh, things come into come into better focus, you'll be able to watch TV or movies with your family because they will all be wearing the same device, right? So okay. you, you just have to take it far enough. Um, and that's still a few years away, but once the device is there to watch anchored content or to be in an environment together, you will be in an environment together, um, even to the degree of like uh, digitizing the self and being in those worlds, even though that sounds so far-fetched, Apple's already- It's coming, have it yeah. at launch. They're yeah. gonna have it at launch. <laughs> uh, Meta already did deep research into codec avatars, they call them, um, which, is, which is really emulating yourself with a few pictures from your camera uh, in VR uh, in fully digital environments. So you'll be able to go to a movie with your family or play a game with your friends and be you. Um, and I think that's really important for mass consumption that people feel mm -hmm. like they are there together. Meta's pushing really hard on social VR just in general right now. And there are already some apps that are, are I mean, really that's fun. their whole key cornerstone to their business. Yeah. Is that social connection, right? I mean, the the aggregation of all of that personal data that they can sell the advertisers is what makes the money. But what gets them to, you know, in business is putting people together. So that should be a part of not to separate us all into our own virtual spaces, but to bring us together yeah, in a collective virtual space. And you're going to see way more of that in software over the next two to three years because there's That's a- That's what the meta quest, the metaverse is all about that too, right? Yeah, there, but there is a, uh, even at a game studio level, there's a massive kind of collective push towards uh, multiplayer co-op types mm. of experiences. Cool. Um, but even on the just more like consumption end of it, like, uh, I don't know if you've, you've used it before, but big screen VR. Yeah. It's a, it's a way to go and actually go to a movie theater and sit with other people in a theater and watch movies. Um, and it, it's those kinds of things you'll see more and more and more of. It's just the fidelity and the richness of that experience is going to get better and better and better. And the hardware is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And your tendency to pick it up will become more and more frequent. And right. Uh, and your family, I mean, the phone is going away. Let's let's be real. That's the entire goal of what Apple is doing. They're trying to get rid of your phone yeah. and put it on your face. And, and yeah. they will do it. And so will Meta. They're both yeah. competing for the phone space is really what they're yeah. doing. 
Yeah, and it's a bit weird to, and we are all doing this. We'll find a little video and we'll copy and paste it and send it in a, in a text message, or we'll hold it up physically. <laughs> Look at this tiny little postage yeah. stamp video piece that I found, and you, and it'll be way better to be linked and say, "Let's watch this show together right now." Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm oh, going to teleport cool. you to my couch, and that's yeah. either in like pass through or mixed reality or whatever. Yeah. And we're gonna, but the thing is, the thing about that is, once you can spatially map your home, I why would I invite you to my dirty living room? No, it's gonna be a palace or a beach totally. or something, and then we'll watch our show together, right? That's what's gonna oh my, happen. Oh my god, it's yeah. so trippy, man. I love talking with you. I I have to ask before. Well, I think we're we're you know, we've I've kept you for an hour already, but let's talk a little bit about uh, 2023 and the successes. Obviously, the Quest Three was really solid. But the question that I have for you is this fractured marketplace, which you are a purveyor in and have found success in by developing your software for a bunch of different platforms. And that is true for developers of every size and scale out there. When they look at the marketplace, they're like Capcom doesn't have to make Resident Evil work on an iPhone, but they have. You know, there's a way to continue to market and sell your software. But in VR in particular, when you look at what Valve has just done with Quest, with creating the Steam app for um, Quest so you can play Steam VR games. Xbox Game Pass is on Quest yeah. as well. Why isn't that bridge happening over and over again? I look at the PSVR too. This is something that I said when I reviewed it is why didn't Sony just make this work on PC? Why not just plug it in and let the, you know, that hardware, that exact same beautiful hardware do what the quest is doing now with steam i would imagine that people would love to play half-life alex on a psvr2 headset but then mm -hmm. if you take it a step further why not work with meta why not let the quest plug in to playstation 5 and you can play PSV psvr2 mm -hmm. games on the the quest 3 and why not have the quest library available to the psvr2 yeah. fans like why create this oh uh, yeah separation across all of these platforms rising tides raise all ships right that, that's yeah. the saying um this industry really needed that to occur for the last decade like there uh, i think in the beginning there were some attempts to be more like that like for every mm -hmm. it, it felt very like in talking to all the partners it did feel like everybody was trying to like raise it together um but as the years moved forward, the competitive nature of the technologies and the patents and this and that started to get more and more fierce and everybody started dividing into their camps. And uh, there was a pretty harsh pull away and people were, you know, sort of like a hiring battle, trying to get the best talent for their companies working on the tech pulling people from X company into their company. And I think the the drama surrounding that is really what drove a lot of these industries apart or these OEMs apart. It's console war again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, these parallels keep happening over and over again. But mm -hmm. back to your point, though, it it still would be like, I loved seeing this, the Steam Link thing happen because it was like this kind of fig leaf across the aisle to from uh, Meta to Valve, Valve to Meta rather. Um, we need more of that right now because that yeah. kind of interoperability is what consumers care about. Yeah. So they all need to be thinking more about what consumers care about <laughs> and what well, consumers care about is the ease of access to that content. Yeah. And if this idea of the MetaQuest is something that 
the industries are working to make reality, isn't that the core tenet? Like, shouldn't all of the headsets interact in the exact same way? Yes, you know? there should be a standard. I, I do agree with you. I There should be. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but there should be a standard. Yeah. Um, I, and I agree wholeheartedly that you should be able to take your PSVR 2 and plug it into your PC or whatever. Like mm -hmm. there, that should that should happen. It would absolutely help our industry because, again, a friction point for many consumers is just the cost. It's just yeah. even yeah. though yeah, even though we have uh, more affordable options like the Quest 3 or the Quest 2, um, it's still a chunk of money for a teenage kid or whatever. Right. And especially and, in this time frame. Yeah. Especially right now. Yeah. So I think uh what Meta's doing in terms of like making sure that the headset works on PC as well as being standalone is really important. It's another one of those like friction removers. It's like, well, oh, I can actually play high end PC on my my mobile headset if I want. That's kind of a step there, but they all should be doing similar things and they should all be doing it kind of the same way. But I don't think right. it's going to happen. They're just too fiercely competitive right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and every every um, connected headset, you should also be able to unplug and it should be standalone with a quality degradation that yeah. you're telling the customer you're going to take a hit, but it, you'll be able to unplug it and play what's on. Yes. It's very easy for us to be outside <laughs> of these hardware companies and tell them how to run. Um, I, but I want to ask you something specifically that I know you can answer and, and uh, it might be a little bit of a, a weird one to answer, but why has pistol whip been such a success for you and for the company? Um, I think I don't have the complete answer, but I, I think it has to do with, um, some of the goals we set out originally with it was it, it's just this whole thing of like within 30 seconds you know how to play the game mm -hmm. um and it's uh tapping into kind of like your lizard brain in terms of the mechanics of the game become very apparent the second you're thrown into combat <laughs> dance combat let's call it um because you don't have to think you react you're you're being shot at things are coming at you from different directions um, the way that you're being visually stimulated is very in intentional and you as a person, you're just reacting. That's a, that's your initial involvement in the experience is like, I just need to survive. And so it kicks in this automated part of your brain to survive. Um, and then once you get comfortable with surviving, you start picking apart the actual mechanics of play and how to do better, right? Um, but I think it's just that initial, like we're, th we're throwing you into the action in a way that really engages that, um, I won't call it a fight or flight mechanism, but more of like your lizard brain response to being in that world. And, uh, and then sort of the, the kind of after side of this is, oh, I wait, wait a minute. I just came out of playing a game. I had a ton of fun and I got exercise. What the hell's with yeah. that? Why? Yeah. And then people clue into, oh, well, it's, it's, uh, uh, Exer, exertainment. <laughs> I don't know. Find find your new buzzword there. But it's the idea that exercise uh, can be fun and entertaining, and it doesn't have to feel like exercise. So there was a, a few things I think that made it work. That's awesome. Uh, I, I as you're telling me that I, I'm reflecting on uh, what Nolan Bushnell and Atari kind of learned, right? Because they they came out with computer space first, and it bombed because people not saying that the gallery and the other stuff that you guys did didn't succeed too but mm -hmm. they were complicated it was complicated content for people to understand yeah. when they played computer space and then they pivoted and made pong 
and the Pong machines would uh, start to uh, glitch out because there were too many quarters in them. They were just incredibly successful. And I think that there is a slight parallel with mm -hmm. your move from the more complex PC VR experiences that you were building, the adventure type games, to Pistol Whip. And yeah. And how do you follow that up now? Because well, I know you've got a few projects in the works. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> um, but the time in market is really important as part of the part of the curve of this is that I don't know that you could make a pistol whip now that mm. would be as successful as pistol whip was then um, right. because it's been there, done that people know what that thing is. Right. And it, it also hit kind of a sweet spot in market when the quest two was kind of peaking as well, uh, yeah. where people were new to the platform and they, that kind of experience is what onboarded them and they, it got their heads around VR real fast. And that's the thing. It was, it was highly shareable too, right? Because it was such a easy thing to understand. However, once you kind of blow past that, um, even if it's in your library and you return to it, uh, it's very been there, done that. And now I want something deeper, better, stronger, right? Um, right. So as an onboarding piece of software, it's great. But I think the cons just the uh, consumer base over the years now is wanting more. And so that's what yeah. we're going to try to deliver next is it's still very accessible, still things that, you know, you can pick up and play and don't have to do a ton of over explaining tactility is super important. Like just, you should be able to enter any of these experiences in VR, in my opinion, in a way that feels native to real life. So you shouldn't have to over explain. You shouldn't have to have a thousand menus. It should be inherent to how you're physically moving your body or doing a thing. Um, so that that kind of uh, uh, internal directive helps us design what we're doing next. But you can expect deeper, but multiplayer and awesome. things. Awesome. And, and and any kind of a time frame? Are we going to know this year or? Uh, yeah, we hope to do an announce this year and uh, you can expect these things I, I shouldn't even say when I can't say that would be a suicide. What am I saying? Okay. <laughs> We're going to know this year. That's good. Yes. That's good. You know, Denny, it gives me, um, uh, you know, I'm a fan of VR, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. I play everything and I can only play things, you know, in fits and starts. I go, I go from one device to another device, but I'm a fan of the technology and it emboldens me. It makes me feel very good that there are people like you out there that are all in and know what they're talking about, are super committed, understand the audience and want to serve the audience and want to build great entertainment. It really is a treat to speak with somebody that's as passionate about this medium as the medium needs, you know, which is great. And I'm so happy for the success of the team as well. And incredibly proud that you're a BC company as well. You're based in uh, in uh, Victoria? Uh, Vancouver Island. Uh, Vancouver Island. So across yeah, the island so there. Sorry, we're... Uh we're technically because of COVID, we're mostly remote. So the the yeah. main studio location is actually Qualicum Beach. That's amazing. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's always a treat to talk with you. I do think that if you aren't already, you should create your own podcast and talk with different VR creators out there. I think you'll uh, learn a lot from them, and you will inspire many others. And I think that would be awesome for the world. I, I would love to do that. We've actually been talking about that. It's always just the conversation always crashes into like, well, we are trying to make games at the same time. So it's, yeah. can we find the time to do that thing? Because there's so much to talk about in this industry. I every, know. every day, every week, there's just so many things. 
Uh, and it would be way more fun to do it in this format where it's not confrontational Twitter sound bites, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and I mean, you guys are watching. We're an hour and 15 minutes into this conversation and we've just scratched the surface. This is the way I feel every time Denny visits us, you know, and every time I talk with him. It's an incredible medium, you know, and I know a lot of people and you must run into this all the time, the flippancy that people have around VR and, and the cynicism that people have around it. It's so ill-founded, you know, it's, understandable. it's an incredible medium. It is, it's, it's, but it's, it's understandable from if you're not, if you don't have your head in it all the time, and yeah. I'm talking all the time and literally having your head in it. Um, yeah. It's really easy to be uh, uh, pessimistic and skeptical. Um, however, you see, I don't though. Yeah. I, I'm just lucky enough that I I have the machines sent to me and I can test them out and I can play yeah. them. It's getting the software isn't an issue, but I have to play everything else. And I talk about movies and all kinds of stuff. And I remain a huge fan. And I am not, I, certainly I can see that there are better business decisions about getting these things out to more people. <laughs> but every time I play VR experiences, I see the improvements. I see the the commitment yeah. from developers and and you know, the Quest 3 has been, just been an amazing leap forward, I feel. Yeah. Again, going back to the original premise of the conversation, the only reason I even responded to Chet was that I felt the message was hyper negative and yeah. it's not really reflective of what's happening in our industry. It's, it, it is going somewhere whether people want it to or not. Um, totally. And, and it's, you can't stop the train at this point. Um, it's taking longer than anybody expected, but it's not, it's, it is growing year on year. It's not shrinking and it's yeah. not going away. Um, and, and any ripples you're seeing in market are more of a result from the, the world kind of going to crap right now in terms of the economy, not VR. Yeah. Um, yeah. VR is doing pretty well. Um, but like everything else right now, like every other company, you have to be careful. You have to be conservative. You have to have the right support in place. Awesome, man. Well, it, Denny, it's always a treat to speak with you. I can't wait to find out what you're working on. And uh, kudos to you and, and everybody at Cloudhead for the long success that you've had in this field. It's fantastic. Thank you. We really appreciate your support and even talking about us, Victor. <laughs> right on. Listen, if you like this conversation, make sure that you hit the thumbs up button. If you're watching us on YouTube, if you're listening to this on the podcast format of your choice out there, do us a favor and write a review about Vic's Basement. It will help us a ton and, you know, send out the signal out there that you like it and share it wherever you want. Thank you again to Denny Unger for being on the show. Thank you for watching or listening, and we'll see you soon. Until then, play forever.